This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis, a, a special Albion Analysis, an extra Albion Analysis, if you if you will, um, because we weren't necessarily planning on on doing this one. Pete is obviously off on his travels, so it's me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George, is somewhere in sunny, sunny Spain at this moment in time. But I'm delighted to say uh, we're joined today by friend of the pod, uh, Joe Chapman. Joe, very very big welcome to you. Hot man, Chris. Thank you very much for having me back on. My pleasure, mate. And uh, Joe is joining us because, well, it's that time of the year. Uh, we are around about a week away from uh, from the end of the transfer window. So today's episode is going to be very, very much focused on transfers. In fact, it is going to be entirely focused on transfers because we are recording now at quarter past five on Friday night. So by the time this has been turned around, edited, etc., there's a very good chance you will either be in your car, traveling to the Middlesbrough game or the Middlesbrough game will have happened. So if we were to talk about results and on the pitch things, the the reality is that those things, discussing those things are going to date very, very quickly. So excuse us if we kind of ignore the on-field activities uh, for the time being, but our focus will be purely on transfers. And Joe, just to kick us off in, in in that area, just as a bit of an overview, what do you make of Albion's window so far? Just to kind of give everybody a bit of a summary of it, not that I'm sure they need much reminding. Two in, Mazur and Sarmiento. Um, overall, we're looking at nine out the door. That includes Albrighton uh, going on loan, and that includes the ones that um, that we've released on freeze, uh, the likes of uh, Rogic and, and Livermore. Um, and then five returning from loans, Kipre, Taylor, Mowat, Kelly and Fellows. So all in all, Joe, we're, we're just in, in pure numbers form. We are two players squad wise lighter than we were at the end of last season. Obviously, we have a couple of long term injuries persisting reach and DK. And then we haven't seen anything of Grady Dean Garner up to this point as well. Um, but what do you, how do you assess Albion's business at this point? Uh, I think it was something that was preempted at the very end of last season, that it was going to be as tricky a season and uh, as tricky a transfer window to negotiate as Albion have had for years and years and years. Um, I know this is time sensitive, the podcast, but we were, we were talking to Carlos today before the Middlesbrough game. And he even said himself that, this is a transfer window that's not been like what Albion have had to endure for re- really the recent history of the football club in that financially things are so tight that, you know, whereas before they've even been able to attract, you know, the 
most in-demand free agents because they are a big pull in the championship as a, as a football club. Uh, and you only have to look back 12 months to, to see perfect examples of that when they brought Swift and Wallace in um, over the course of the summer. And Newcastle, of course. And, and again, as somebody who would have, I'm sure, would have had plenty of options around Europe and yet he decided to come back to, to England uh, and to a football club that he clearly had an affinity with previously. 12 months on, those options aren't on the table anymore. So when I asked Carlos recently about the idea that, you know, have you got a bit of a fallback in the free agent market uh, as the club did after the disaster of deadline day last year? Uh, the short answer was no. We we can't go and get those Tom Rogic, Eric Peters like players that, this time around because, again, those players were players who, with a lot of experience, a bit of quality, and were going to cost a few quid in terms of wages. Albion are having to be so careful and so selective in what they can do. Um, and that has brought about frustration, but it is reassuring when you hear Carlos talk uh, that he, he has always been in keeping with uh, what he's been told through the club by Mark Miles and, and Ian Pearce and Ron Gawley before that about exactly where Albion are in, in their in their off-field situation. Um, so he accepts that and acknowledges it and he constantly challenges the club within to adapt to those circumstances and to be as flexible as possible and to find as many solutions as possible. That's just the way he is as a human being, as a football coach, if you challenge him and take three or four of his players out with injuries, he's going to just try and find ways to, to you know, um, fix those situations. He's not the kind of manager who's going to throw his arms up in the air and, you know, cry about it. He, 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 that's just the way his attitude is in life, I think. I, I've never heard him make an excuse, Joe, in a, po- in a post-match press conference, even when we've got even when we've got beaten. Towards the end of last season, the, the excuses were pretty much pre-prepared for him, you know, the, with the volume of injuries. Yet, not once did I ever hear him hmm. blame the injury list for the for, and and let's be fair, Joe. Sitting here now, you you and I can can say because we're not the West Bromwich Albion head coach, those results at the end of last season that cost us a playoff place happened because of the injury list. But not once did Carlos say that. No, it was the polar opposite uh, because he, as as we said, touched on it at the end of last season when he lost Okai Malumbi, um, Matt Phillips was already out, Dean Garner, Adam Reach, Alex Palmer. Cole Bartley, the list was endless at that point. DK. Uh, and DK, Daro Shea, all these players were missing, really, towards the end of our season. Uh, and constantly, it could have been very, very simple for Carlos to say, well, you know, we're missing a whole host of players here and I can't do much about it. But he would look at ways to, you know, change personnel, change system, and still try and find the right solutions per game. It's almost like he sees football as a puzzle and he has to kind of try and... um you know, complete it with the tools that he's got. And I, I know there are frustrations. Of course there are. How could you not? Because he wants every single player available to him at all times. That it hasn't changed even now without a, a number of injured players. Um, he, of course, he'd like £50 million pounds to spend. Um, but that, that's just, that's where Albion are at this moment in time. And rather than, you know, kind of send public statements like our neighbours down the road, the manager who, you know, demands extra money and demands players, He's gone the other way and he actually says about how proud he is to be at the football club, even through this challenge. And he, and he wants to lead the club through these uh, this dark period um, and, and, you know, bring about a little bit of, of light, I think, in terms of what he is able to control and, and, and oversee as a, as a football coach on the sidelines and, and get the very, very best out of the players that he is going to be equipped with um, come the, the 2nd of September. So... Lots of frustration because I know that Albion's whole fan base has probably expected a few more people through the door. And I dare say Carlos himself would have liked that by now. But um, as has been reiterated on countless occasions this summer, you can't under-egg the the difficulties that the club are facing. And they've actually, in my, in my opinion, they've actually done pretty well to have shifted as, as, as many players out the door um, who weren't going to be a part of this this journey going forwards, players like David Button and, and Carlin Grant and, um, you know, Dara was obviously a disappointed one in many ways, but was a necessary one in lots of others. Um, and well, even getting rid of, well. even getting rid of Ken Zahor last, last January, I thought was, a, it was something nobody had been able to do for, we'd been trying to do it for three years. Yeah. And it was, again, you know, that I suppose a lot of that was to do with the fact that 
probably broken the back of his contract and we got to a point where we were able to kind of come to an agreement. We might not have been able to have done that 12 months earlier, but generally speaking, I think Albion have actually done, you know, I'd have expected Carlos to have basically said to the recruitment team, okay, here's players that we could do without if needs be, with the understanding that if an offer came in for any of his players, the club would have to listen to it. If if a Premier League team said, we'll give you six million for Rocco, you could still on Monday morning then I think Albion are in a position at this moment in time. It's very sad, but where they'd be very, very hard-pressed to say no. I mean, just lingering on that point, Joe, because there's been a lot of rumours uh, this this week. You talk about players that we've that, that we've paid up, that we've managed to get off the wage bill, that are that, that are ageing, that have been with with the club for a while. The, the rumours very strongly this uh, this week was that the the well the initial rumour was that it would happened that that Carl Bartley had left the club the club refuted that um, I, I know you 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 put that out in the paper as well um, to to say that that was that was not the case that he was available for this coming weekend and that he remains a West Bromwich Albion player training with the club nonetheless do you anticipate that that could be the next one because he's a player that as all reports state, is on is on a lot of money. I think he's one of, if not the best player at West Bromwich Albion with, you know, money north of £30,000 a week, which it, it ha- I have to say personally, I don't think any club in the championship without parachute payments should be paying any player in their squad that kind of money. I think it's insane. So to get him off the wage bill, as much as I do like Carl Bartley, and I know he splits opinion, I personally like him. Um, I think he's an excellent box defender, and I think he certainly has real qualities. And he's also a threat in the opposition penalty area, as he showed at the start of the Carlos Corbran reign. But to get him off the wage bill, I think I think you'd probably have to view it as a, as another success. Do you see that as something that that may happen? Is uh, were the rumours premature as opposed to wrong? Do you think? I think that, like I just said to you there, I think if you, you probably have to consider that every Albion player is up for sale, really. Um, Carl Bartley's got one year left on his contract at Albion, and as you say, is one of the top the top paid players in the squad. Um, that comes and thirty two as well, of course. Yeah, which I suppose as a centre half isn't you know desperate, is it? But it, it, it's it's obviously not. It's obviously the wrong side of of maybe his absolute prime years. Um, that was a that was the result, I, I suppose, of Premier League money. And you know, you can talk about the structuring of of contracts and the timing of giving players certain contracts and. That's probably a, a slightly different argument or a different story, um, but in the in the in the case of Kyle, I would say that if a team came to Albion and said we'll take over the year of contract, or you know they could come to some form of agreement, it all comes back to Albion's finances constantly. If Albion had another year of parachute payments, um, and, and or, or or even just a or even without parachute payments, but but with a stable ownership, then. Or without an MSC a... Holdings loan hanging over their head that they know they've got to repay in the near future. No, all of it, all of it. I mean, the fact that they're still owed five million pounds by their own owner. Uh, every which way you look at it, <clears throat> there wouldn't be as much of a desperation to raise money. So, of course, you're going to look at the highest paid players and 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 look at their situations, their futures. Can they be moved closer to the door? It's not even about raising money through player sales at that at that stage. It's it's actually just freeing up funds, freeing up wage bill. Um, because that that's absolutely crucial at this moment in time. So when Albion were obviously discussing with Albion this week, it ended up being a little bit of a farce earlier in the week because quite clearly Carl Barley hasn't been released. And at the time when I spoke to the club, it was made clear to me that he was in training and was available for selection this coming weekend. Now, with a whole week left of the transfer window, who knows what will happen between now and next Friday? Honestly, we, Carl Bartley could be out the door, but then so could Grady Diangana, so could yeah. Josh Griffith, so could Alex Mowit, so could so could half a dozen players. Well, it's worth saying as well, uh, due to the rules, if Carl Bartley was to want to find himself a club outside of the transfer window, he would have to be released within this transfer window. Those are the rules. So if he was actually released after Friday, he couldn't then sign for another club before January. So if he's not released before Friday, I think it's very realistic to say he's not going to be before January. Yeah, I I think so. 
And also, I don't think, in a footballing sense, Carlos isn't, it's not like Carlos is absolutely desperate to get him out the door either. Again, we're talking about Middlesbrough and Shemi Ajayi being, being a bit of a doubt. If there was any reason at all why Shemi wouldn't play or any of the centre-halves, Carl is the next cab off the rank. Um, and with Caleb Taylor, another player who could potentially leave the club between now and Friday. Um, what did you make of that? I read, I read that, I read that piece earlier in the week, Joe, and I have to say I was, I, I was surprised. I appreciate it from from Caleb's um, development point of view that playing games is the best thing for him. But given our current situation, and given how, I mean, I, I only went to the Burton game in preseason, but I thought Caleb. I, I thought Caleb bailed the more senior centre half in Kipre out time and time again in that game. Um, I've, I've been quite impressed with what I've seen of Caleb. What little I saw of him at Cheltenham, I was impressed with as well. I, I was surprised that that was even a consideration for for Carlos because I can't imagine there's a huge saving in terms of wages by by loaning Caleb out. No, not not financially. That would be purely to do with development, and I think. With Caleb, it's an interesting one because he's somebody who quite clearly has a lot of traits of centre half. Um, not not dislike, not not unlike Carl Bartley actually. Um, bit of bit of old school, massive lad. Like really, honestly, spoke to him after the Forest Green game in pre-season. You you kind of just staring up. At him. He took um, a few phone books to stand on, did you, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit. He's a big lad, and um, you know I'm a fan of his. I, I went to watch him a couple of times at Cheltenham last season. Really, really impressed me. What stood out for me at Cheltenham and what Carlos believes is the case for a lot of League One teams is that a lot of them will play with a back three. So it's quite ironic, really, that we've got a back three at the minute. But the way Carlos wants Albi to be long-term is that he wants them to be able to be so adaptable that he could go from a three to a four in the space of seven days, depending on the opponent. Does he think that Caleb, at this moment in time, is ready to be chucked into a, a back four in the Championship, which is a big step up, it must be said. It's not... Um, you know, in the same way the Premier League, the Championship can be a big step. The the Championship to League One, especially this season with the quality of team down here now, that would be a big, big ask for a player to come in, in into in, you know a, a certain environment like that. Um, but then there's, when, a, when... there's a few of Albion's back four that you'd say can they can they play? Sorry, Albion's centre halves can they play in a back four? I I, I I've only seen Kipre have good games in a in a three centre half formation. Yeah, I think I think even now you'd go with, you know, Ajayi and Peters or Ajayi and Bartley or Bartley and Peters. Um, albeit the last, I think Ajayi is crucial, really, mm, in, in terms of in terms of his strengths. So it's not an ideal scenario because I'm sure that Carlos might quite like another centre half um, as an option, and, and the loss of Dara can't really be underestimated either in, in what he brought to the team, not only as a a profile and a, a, as a captain, but also actually in, in, in terms of his playing style, I thought he really, you could see him growing under Carlos and, and certainly what Carlos wants from his centre-halves is why Cedric Kipper is in the team, I think. Um, and I saw things at, at Leeds that I was, I liked about Kipper. I thought, you know, there is definitely a player in there that I, he will, he will continue to divide opinion, but I definitely thought there were things about his game, which you could see why Carlos is going to continue yeah. with him. Mate, uh, I mean, I would go as far as to say he even divides opinion in in my own mind. He like gives me a split personality. Like uh, (laughs) one part of me loves some of the things he does and the way he drives out of defence. And that ball through for the penalty against Swansea is a brilliant defence splitting ball. But then it's like every single game he has to have a nightmare moment, whether Mm. it's whether it's the pass out against Blackburn, whether it's punting it out for a corner against Swansea when we couldn't defend a corner to save our lives. Whether it's, I know he got the ball, but he does not need to kick so viciously in that challenge, which could have been a penalty. He just seems to have one of those moments. If he can, if he can iron that out of his game, that mad moment that just seems to crop up every single time he plays, I actually think he, there's so much he does well. You can definitely see why Cardiff fans were, were, um, were otherwise really impressed with him and quite many of them were quite keen for him to come back this season because there there are definitely elements he played in the three at Cardiff. Their their place in the in the division in the first, in the first two thirds of the season was, was a bit of an outlier really because they had actually a better defence than Albion for you know I know Al, the most of the damage was done against Albion in the first third of the season. But their goals against Column was 
so much um stood out so much against every other team in the bottom third of the division going into kind of like February March time that it, it that kind of really again as part of a collective effort you could tell that that he obviously fitted in well there. I was going to say because I mean I mean and I'm, I'll, I'll openly admit I'm stealing this opinion from the not the 20, top twenty podcast where I was listening to George Alec and Ali Maxwell um, on my drive home yesterday and they made an excellent point that that, that so much about defend uh, def- the quality of defenses is down to defensive systems and not necessarily the individual personnel in them. Yes, that the personnel has to suit the system, but if the system is set up poorly largely speaking good personnel will just fail yeah i i agree i, I that's why i that's why i think that Kipra can still be can, can be a key player um certainly for carlos in the way that he wants his players to play as well as the system it's actually the style as well it's it's what he's looking for so the middle of a back three for me and he's got the he's got the the agility of a jai on one side and the experience and and, and the balance of peters on the other um you know, in the right environment, I think Albion are okay there for now. But yeah, go back to Taylor. I think he's somebody who could definitely leave the club on loan, and they've got to decide whether that's best. Whether he goes back and plays another year of fifty games in in League One, but in the middle of a back three, if he wants to broaden his, if he, Carlos wants him to broaden his horizons, then is actually keeping him at the club maybe better in the long run, and maybe potentially exposing him to first team football down the line. So. Do, we'll do, if if I mean, there's the possibility of Caleb going out on loan. As we say, there's been rumours about Bartley being released. W- would you expect Albion to be looking around for a centre half in those in those cases? I, I know there's been a lot of links with the with Jonathan Panzo, for uh, for example. Um, do do you think that's an area that because uh, I know we're so limited in terms of resources um, that you know you've you've got to pick and choose your battles really in terms of what transfers you can do between now and the the the, the close of the window but do you think it's something Albion will look at yeah i i think if i think carlos wants two players and i think they would be ideally a fullback perhaps a versatile fullback maybe somebody who could play either side um in the way nathan ferguson used to somebody like that who could maybe fill in on the on either wing and my other obvious area for me, which might not be obvious to others, but I, I just think having let Tom Rogic go and having let Taylor Gardner Hickman go, if anything were to happen to John Swift in a in a system where Albina are playing with a with a ten, uh, then you'd like I, I would like to see another maybe versatile playmaking addition, whether that be as a ten an, an or an eight slash ten type. Yeah. yeah. Because he, he he talks about the fact that he's got four central midfielders, he's got five centre halves, um, he's got another he'll have a third centre forward coming back before the end of the calendar year. They've got Dean Garner and Samiento and Phillips and Wallace as wingers. I just wonder if he'd like another addition in the final third who can maybe create, contribute to, with goals themselves, can play through the middle, can play out wide. I think between that and a versatile fullback, I think then you close the, the transfer window. Then I think Albina are looking a little bit better, but that's obviously caveated with the fact that they're in a situation now where any player that leaves has to be replaced as well. So it's kind of going to be how many players leave plus two others. Yeah, they'll they'll need if if which is the which is the danger point really towards the end of the transfer window because you just end up leaving yourself with too much work to do. And if Albion do sell two or three players next week and raise lots of money, but they need five and they're all needing to be like on, you know, loans or freeze, then that's a hell of a lot of work to do in the space of a single week. Well, the, uh, and also, Joe, as we've, uh, as we've suffered in the past, um, in the very recent past, we, the championship clubs, loaning Premier League players, which I imagine is the key market that we will be looking at, are not the Premier League club's priority on deadline day. That's why we missed out on Amari Hutchison uh, in in the last window, because Chelsea were more focused on doing the Enzo Fernandez deal than they than they were in loaning Hutchinson uh, to us. The, there's some talk that that's you know that's why the um, uh, the 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 deal for uh, Josh Onama um, and uh, and Alzate from Brighton 
part of obviously we made a mess of the mess of the paperwork but the reason it was being scrambled so late was it was again because we we were not we're not their key priority um in in those situations and the other thing is and i think i don't know what you think joe i think this is deeply unfair is the difference in regulations between the EFL and the Premier League that the Premier League just have to get a deal sheet in and then get an extra I think it's an hour or two but the EFL's deadline is the deadline is the deadline is the deadline and if you are seconds after it after it which Blackburn were with Lewis O'Brien you, you're dead in the water and it's like but why what why can the Premier League get a deal sheet in and then do a deal later and the EFL can't it seems it, it's actually penalising the clubs with less resources when doing transfers. I don't get it. No, I totally agree. It was a real bugbear of mine last summer. The also thing you've got to bear in mind with that is that the domino effect is affecting the EFL teams in that scenario. So it's all well and good Chelsea getting a deal sheet to complete a signing of a foreign player. But then surely the deal sheet then is needed for the championship team who are trying to borrow their youngster because it's a domino effect and... If any, if any team should be getting a deal sheet in that scenario, it should be the team who are, you know, lower down the rungs of the, of the ladder. Away days are great. But there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Speaking of Premier League players on loan, you just mentioned about versatile um, fullback. I'm not going to talk a, a lot about players that we haven't got because because I don't like the phrase Albion have missed out on when there's absolutely no evidence they were ever in for in for said player but I did I did the one that just really jumped on my radar was Millwall signing Norton Coffey um because it just seemed like an ideal um move for Albion to go and get a player who's who can play in a wing back system, but it can also play as a fullback in in a four, largely a right sided defender, but could probably do a job as a left sided defender as well. It, I mean, I don't know whether we were in for him in any way, shape, or form. I saw no indication that we were, but it just seemed a player that maybe we should have been looking at. Well, I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the freeze and about the attraction of Albion compared to you know twelve months ago. And I think that applies also, as it did with the free agent market. I think it also applies to the loan market as well in, in that we are now, once upon a time, we could go and get a Harvey Barnes, for example. We're just in a, we're just in a much different ballpark. So the players that we are going to be getting are going to be, um, I, I think everybody at Leicester kind of knew Harvey Barnes was going to be an absolute star. Um, and that's ended up coming to fruition. So I just wonder whether we're having to take a few more gambles now in terms of young players who may or may not come off. And the one thing I would be in the loan market, certainly it's, it's so easy for me and you here talking about it and um, looking ahead to the week and, and trying to predict what might happen and what we think should happen. But the one thing I'd be trying to aim for would be looking at players who are ready to be sent out again on their, for their second loan, because I think Norton Coffey is a perfect example, actually. He's somebody who spent time out. I think this is probably his third separate loan spell away from Arsenal. So those players, Charlie Patino was another one who had a year at Blackpool, who I thought might have been a useful player. Um, Can't half deliver but, a corner, the kid. Wow. Yeah, I know. So I mean, there's lots, there are a lot of players. Uh, and of course, there are players who it's all specific. You know, Patino on paper looks like a good fit for Swansea. who are a good football inside and 
well, they might get the best out of him. Um, whereas he, they, Albion, for example, might have looked at him in the way Carlos wants to play and maybe see deficiency. So it, it's, it's, yeah, each to their own in terms of the, the clubs themselves. But I just think Albion are in a position where they probably need to be looking at players who are on their second loan, who are ready for their second loan, who maybe has a really, really good spell in League One, like the, uh, the young lad at Palace, Raksaki, someone like that. Do you know what I mean? Who, that that's just where Albion are having to operate at the moment. I think in terms of the the, the profile of target that they can attract. Uh, you mentioned before the other position that you said that you you would like to see Albion recruit or potentially felt that they they should be recruiting for was a sort of eight slash ten. Now in terms of that eight. A lot of the noises made from from Carlos over the course of the summer were that he was very impressed with Alex Mowat and that um, he saw Alex Mowat as a real option in that in that eight role. Now, since then, this week we've seen uh, heavy rumours that he might be heading to Coventry. Obviously, they've moved players on. Hamer's gone to Sheffield United. They've got a bit of money burning a hole in their in their back pocket. And on top of that. We haven't seen a lot of Alex Mowat in the uh, in the early weeks of the season. Chalup has been picked ahead of him. Even Taylor Gardner-Hickman, I think, has come off the bench ahead of him at, at, at times as well. Has, since Carlos made those th- those comments in pre-season, do you feel Mowat's star has waned a little bit with, with Carlos? Is he a bit further down the pecking order? And could we potentially... Because he's a, di- he's a difficult one, with, isn't he, Alex Mowat? You either play him or you, uh, or you sell him because he's got one year left on his deal and he's, it's a mass- and he's, he's, not on, he's not on poor wages either from what I hear. No. So um, it's a massive waste to keep him and not play him. So I suppose my question is twofold. One, do you think his star has waned with Carlos? And two, do you see a scenario where he moves on between now and the end of the window? I think it's conceivable he could leave uh, in, in, in the same way you're kind of teetering on the edge with a number of players. I think Albion would love to be in a position where they were entertaining offers of, of you know, any any sort of money really, uh, especially from um, teams, as you say, like Coventry, who have got a few quid now. You, you could kind of maybe say, even with Albion's pretty desperate situation, if you're, if you're talking with a football club who you know equally have got a few quid in their back pocket, then, you know, you can kind of come to some sort of agreement. I actually, I was really impressed with Moet in pre-season and I don't really know why he, ha- well, I mean, Okai and, and, and Malumbi are quite clearly first choice players. Um, that hasn't changed from this, from no. pretty much I, the time since he came in. The surprise seems to be that Chalaber has been favoured over him. I actually, uh, I, uh, uh, just to defend Chalaber slightly, and I know he's had he's had his misgivings in the early weeks of the season. The incident at at Stoke doesn't speak well for him. But I have to say, I don't think his performances on the pitch have been uh, have been poor. I think I, I think he's largely justified his selection. But nonetheless, the surprise still remains that he was even considered ahead of Mowat. I thought he looked good in pre-season as well, actually. Uh, I remember him coming on at Burton when everybody expected him to have actually left the club um, and he was named on the bench. And I thought for the second 45 against Burton, I thought he looked, he looked good. He looked eager to to impress, to get on the ball. And I think there are definitely qualities in Shalabar that Carlos sees. And I think that's why he will go to Shalabar, you know, kind of maybe with 20, 25 minutes to go in a game. Um, is the difficulty to... there, though, whether the fans... Uh, we've got another Callum Robinson situation here, whether the fans are going to forgive and forget. Because, uh, I mean, you were you were there against Swansea, Joe. There was a there was a pocket of booze when he came on. Yeah, which is which is not nice. I mean, it's it just the whole thing with Shalabar and the, and, and the portion of the fan base, what went on at Stoke, and he was obviously in the wrong, and he's addressed that himself. Um and then, you know, you kind of hoped it would be water under the bridge. But then equally in the back of my mind, he comes on against Swansea. And I'm thinking, I bet there are still fans out there that give him a bit of stick. It's just the way football is. And uh, it, it, it happened. It, that was the case. And that was, again, it's... with Albion have got enough things to worry about as a football club on and off the field to, you know, concern themselves with this. And, and at, at a time when you want to be uniting everybody under one banner by the owner this is happening and it, it's it's just it's sour and it's it's unfortunate and quite frankly everybody every party could do without it so it, it's you, unnecessary isn't it joe let's be fair i, I think so and of, of course albion fans every fan is entitled to their opinion but 
they could just do without it. It's a bit of an unwelcome distraction at this moment in time. That said, the only way that Nathaniel is going to win those boo boys over is by turning in performances which justify, you know, the, the opposite reaction from them. So uh, it's easier said than done. And he, he seems quite an emotional character, somebody who maybe isn't able to shrug it off in the way other players might. You know, he wants to give a bit back. That's not always a bad thing, but at this moment in time, you'd need everybody to kind of be on the same page, I think. So with Shalabar, I think there are definitely things, again, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I, like I said, there's half a dozen players who it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if he, if he wasn't at the club in a week's time. But even so, if he is, you can see that Carlos is happy to utilise him. I think he's a ball. He's a he's a player in terms of his qualities and why he might be getting picked ahead of Moet. I think he's somebody who can win the ball back a bit more in midfield. Moet's a bit of a runner, isn't he? He's somebody who tries to get around the place a bit like Malumbi, who has definitely nailed down that particular um, position on the pitch and that role. I just wonder with Moet whether you know. It, I, I spoke to Carlos after the Stoke game, and I was trying to. <laughs> basically emphasise how well Mo had done in the build-up to Albion's goal in that he'd won the ball back up high in the corner. Townsend crosses the ball, Thomas Asante scores. And then within two minutes, Moe's lost possession on the edge of his own penalty area and Stoke have scored the winner. Um, and a little bit like the two goals that Swansea scored in the 3-2 win uh, a few days later, that I think that tainted Corbrand's overall view of how Moe had done. And that day against Swansea, Carlos wasn't interested in talking about three points and three goals. He was too busy worried about why they'd let those those goals in and why Swansea hadn't, you know, nicked a, an equaliser. In the same way, I said, you know, it was that was positive, wasn't it, Carlos? That no, it's won the ball back, and you know, that's the kind of attitude you want to see from a player coming back from his loan. And and Carlos straight away came back and said, yeah, but that was unfortunate the way, you know, he he lost possession. Uh, it, it's um. Yeah, I, I don't see him starting anytime soon. You know, I always get asked for by my work to do predicted 11s and things at the start of um, every week. And he's just one of those players. But that's, that says as much about Okai Malumbi, I think. Okai could have a stinker at, at Ellen Road on Friday night. and But you know what Okai is about. And you know that he's practically the first name on the team sheet. So it is, it is a competitive area of the squad, I think. It's up to Moet either to bide his time and wait it out and hope for an opportunity or to say to his agent, mate, get me out of here and, and, and let's try and find a you know a fresh start where I know I'll be playing permanently and, and playing regular football. And I suppose emphasising what a competitive area of the, the squad that is, we have seen a player move on from that area of the uh, the squad this week. Taylor Gardner-Hickman going to Bristol City on an initial loan with a option to to take him permanently now although the club didn't disclose the fee the same number has been has been published basically everywhere you you want to look which is 1.3 million so whilst we can't know for certain that that's the fee i think we can there, there seems to be no smoke without fire let's put it that way um I, joe i don't think that was a surprise to anybody i think i i i, I think we've seen for a while that carlos has misgivings when it comes to it comes to Taylor I thought it was interesting actually he he only made three starts last season after Carlos's first two games he started Carlos's first two games against uh, Sheffield United and Blackpool and then only started three games after that and obviously one of those games was the ill-fated game at Bramall Lane um so which you know is not is is not great he's only had 9 minutes of championship football um for us uh, for us this season and and last season he actually played less minutes overall he made more appearances if you count games but he played less minutes than he did in his breakthrough season of 21-22 so in many respects, in terms of Taylor Gardner Hickman's Albion career, he's gone backwards. Um, just purely based on the numbers, purely based on how much he's playing, he's playing less than he was when he was initially. And, he, and bearing in mind, he only broke into the side midway through the season that in twenty one twenty two to then play less minutes the next season, I think would have been extremely disappointing for him. So I don't think it was a massive surprise that he went. I think what surprises me, and I'd love your take on this because Pete and I have discussed it at length now over two pods because it was the same deal that saw Zach Ashworth go to Bolton. What I don't understand 
unless there are things in the deal that we're not aware of. And I'm well aware that these deals are not one sentence long. They're generally quite complicated with a lot of clauses in. So there could well be more things in there. But I don't understand loaning players with an option to buy just because it passes all the power across. If the player has a good season, there's a very good chance Taylor Gardner-Hickman finishes next season worth more than 1.3 million, in which case you get uh, you sell him at less than his value. And if he has a poor season, Bristol City send him back to you and you're stuck with a player that isn't necessarily in the manager's plans, but also hasn't done anything to prove other championship clubs that, that, that they should buy him. And the same, I feel the same way about Zach Ashworth going to Bolton. If he, um, if he has a good season, he might be worth more than whatever the figure is in that, in that deal. And if he has a bad season, Bolton will send him back to us and we're stuck assuming we are in the championship. And I'd like to think that's a reasonable assumption with a player in the championship that's just proved he's not good enough for league one. So the deal itself in both cases, Zach and Taylor, I understand the structure of the deal. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a strange one because I, 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 I totally agree with you. I expected Taylor to leave at, at various points this summer because, you know, you, you looked at, uh, there were just little clues everywhere you looked. I mean, the fact that he was sent to Forest Green with the the, the rest of the young lads um, mm-hmm. on the eve of their, their final proper pre-season game at, at Bolton. And I know he ended up at Bolton because of, well, just because of how skinny the squad was. But, you know, the fact that he was sent down there um, with you know, to captain a very very young team at Forest Green, it just made me wonder whether he was on the periphery. And he, he's always been a little bit a victim of his own success, I think, in that he's been obviously quite willing to play in various positions. I think he must have played in something like four or five different positions over the course of his time at the club: um, right back, left wing back, right wing back, central midfield, number ten. Being a jack of all trades is all well and good, but you know the rest of the uh, the term is master of none. And and if if that always is going to mean that he's going to be second, third choice in every single position that he can play. And then eventually, if you don't nail down one spot, then you're going to just be deemed expendable, I think, because you're not really, there'll always be another natural, more preferred option in in that position. So I think Taylor's a player who's quite clearly got plenty of talent. I mean, you've only got to look at, again, I know it's pre-season, but you look at the quality of the finishes at, at Salford, um, the quality of the goals that he scored in the championship last season. Just touching on the five starts, the two of the, the three that you uh, addressed, the other two were, were were in over the Easter period when Albin didn't have Ocko and Malumbi. So mm. they were a necessity. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, he wouldn't even have started those games either. So Cor Brown has obviously run the idea through his mind that, you know, he might play him as a number 10. He might work as a bit of a, a deputy to Swift because he wants to relieve Gardner Hickman of his defensive responsibilities, which he still thinks he needs to mature. And an opportunity's come up. And I think uh, regarding the structuring of the deal, I can, I totally understand your concerns. I suppose what you'd say is that if he does well, then 1.3 million quid for a, a player who has made more substitute appearances for the first team and started is an academy player. It's not like Albion are losing any money on him. In that respect, um, well, also two thousand five hundred minutes in the championship is is his is running total, just just slightly north of that by literally a few minutes. I, I have to say, I agree with you. I th- I think he could go on to be worth more, but you have to value a player at what they're valued now. And I've seen a lot of Albion fans upset by the reported fee. I don't really understand that. I don't. I. Uh, I really like Taylor. Let me put it out there. And I think he will end up being worth way more than 1.3 million. But at this moment in time, the amount Bristol City are going to put in the in the deal is what they think he's worth right now. And mm. I don't see how a player who's only played 2,500 championship minutes and, as you say, has within that only made, I think, I think it's around 15, 16 starts then I don't understand how that player is necessarily going to be worth north of 1.5 million. I I think it's a reasonable price. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, On top of that, you've then got the fact that um, Dell have obviously had a bit of a loan fee as well. So all that considered, it's going to be nearer 2 million pounds, isn't it? So yeah, that, that, for me, the, uh, well, the, pushing pushing 2.5 really, when you take into the fact that his wages come off the wage bill as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it means it means Albion can get a player and address another area of the squad that Carlos feels is, is necessary because he knows he's still got four central midfielders he can call on. Um, the 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 last player that I I do want to talk about specifically in terms of in terms of outgoings just because it he he seems to be at the forefront of the conversation is Grady Dean Garner Joe um I mean it seems to me I love Grady I'd like to put that on the record before I say what I'm about to say I love him I love watching him and I think he's horribly underrated by some people and I think the season he had last year gets understated dramatically. But it seems like a no-brainer to me if you if you can get him out. I think he's a player that will be valued by Premier League clubs. Um, there's already been rumours. I mean, there's rumours of Saudi, although there's also rumours that he's turned that down. Um, there's but there's been rumours of Everton, who obviously have been sniffing around wanting a player in that in that area because they want they've wanted Nonto pretty much all summer. Um, there's there's talk now of potentially. Crystal Palace, who are obviously getting very short in attacking areas with some of the injuries that they've got, possibly looking at him. I would suggest that Grady is a player that can command a decent fee. You would like to think five, six million at least for him. He's obviously going to be one of our better paid players, given what we paid for him. Um, So it would be saving an awful lot on the wage bill. And he's a player that you can negotiate with a Premier League club for, which is always going to be advantageous in terms of getting a lot more money up front and also being able to sell the player for for a lot more out of all the players in our squad I would say the biggest no-brainer if we can do a deal is to probably sell Grady Dean Garner before the window's out what would you say I'd be inclined to agree I think it's going to be a pretty grim loss that the club are going to have to take uh, if if that was if that scenario was, was to arise he's got Two years left on his contract. Uh, I just you wonder whether is he going to is he going to see those two years out? In that, in which case, who's coming for him? Do do they? Does it end up in a scenario where you have to take the absolute bare minimum, like they did with Callum Robinson, um, which in, in Dean Garner's case would be an enormous loss? But at this moment in time, they can't really be particularly picky. Or do they end up in a Callum Grant situation where somebody comes at last minute and says, "We'll take him on loan." I suppose that's where you've got a hope. That's where you've got to hope a Premier League club comes from because both of those scenarios, you're quite right there, but both of those scenarios were negotiating with a championship club. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, for example, Crystal Palace did, did, did come knocking, you would like to think they've got enough cash in the bank to actually pay up for him. Yeah, and even, to be honest with you, Chris, this summer is like nothing I've ever seen before in the championship. Um, the, the, the division is basically cash rich everywhere except Albion it feels like I mean Coventry have sold a player for 20 million and 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 that's just one of their two star players and well Southampton um, have sold what well over 100 million pounds worth of talent easy, in in the easy. last in the last week yeah easy <laughs> in the last week and and you know players could, could, could continue leaving there as well Adams and Teller and you know, you look around at Leeds have started spending now. They finally got their backsides in gear. Leicester have earned eighty million quid in sales. Um, Alex Scott's left Bristol City. He's twenty five million quid. They're, they're twenty five million quid better off. Um, like Blues have obviously benefited from the Bellingham sale. There's just there seems to be more money in the championship than ever before, everywhere it's, except Albion. It seems to basically be that it's not that championship clubs have recovered from COVID. I think Premier League clubs have recovered from COVID, and they're and they're they're paying proper fees again. Put on top of that, a lot of Premier League clubs are received, have suddenly got a re, a proper market to sell their players to with Saudi Arabia. Because they've never they've never really had a market since since the backside fell out of the two big Spanish clubs in Real and Barca, the Premier League clubs have not really had anywhere where they can sell. They've had to sell players that don't work out in the Premier League for below their market value. Now they can sell them for for market value or above to Saudi Arabia and reinvest that cash, and it's trickling down to the Championship. Unfortunately, as you quite rightly say, Joe, the one club it's not trickling down to is us because everybody knows we're over a barrel we're over a barrel but also that probably is just reflective of our recruitment as well in the last few years that we haven't got those assets to sell how can a team like Southampton pick up a player like Lavia for however much money only then to sell him for nearly 60 million quid a year later the same with Liveramento who's gone to 
to Newcastle and, um, you know, they've been able to just sign players. Uh, there was the one lad, the defender that's gone abroad, whose name yeah, escapes me. He's got. He's gone to, I think he's gone to Marseille, hasn't he? And, and yeah. I saw him and I thought, I don't even remember you from last season. And yet you've got, I think he, they sold him for about 15 mil. Exactly, 15 million quid. I mean, imagine what Albion would do with 15 million quid right now. And that's just, that, and he's he's not even touching the sides of their, you know, the bulk of their sale money this year. So this is where Albion are at. If Albion were to get an offer for Grady, I'm sure they would love to, at the very, very, very least, consider it, you know, um, provided it wasn't a totally ludicrous offensive offer, that you know, Grady Diangana is still a talented footballer at the end of the day. It's not something you just... I know Albion are in a, bit, a bad place right now, but you can't take the mick. I, I totally agree with you about Grady. He will, for me, will go down as probably the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, what-ifs of recent history with Albion in terms of if he'd have been able to replicate what he did in that first year on loan when he thought he was going back to West Ham and going to be given an opportunity at West Ham, which is where he clearly wanted to shine. If he'd have carried that on, if he'd have got his head down and in, back at Albion on a permanent deal, as actually we all thought he would have done when he scored that fabulous goal at Everton, then then you're talking about a player who might be worth 20, 30 million quid. Um, he I'll, was... I'll call it now, Joe. If he goes to a Palace or a Brentford, basically someone in London in the Premier League, he rips it up. Well, there's this argument about him being homesick. I'm not so sure about that. COVID would have been a very, very difficult time. He was, you know, you go back three years ago, he's a young lad, early 20s, living by himself, um, unable to see friends and family back in London and COVID on top of all of that. And Albion were crap. And, you know, I don't think Sam Allardyce had a hell of a lot of time for him at that point. It and, was then he, and, then he had, and then he had uh, Val. After that, then, yeah, it, it, you know, and we all kind of hoped that Steve Bruce would be that man that would that would begin to prompt something out of him again. And for and a little he while, did. he did. Yeah, yeah. The for whole game, he, he was unbelievable. He was, he was very, very good that day. But the 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 quite obvious issue is that you can count on one hand the amount of you know unbelievable performances he's put in in the last four years. Joe, we'll just finish up with a, with a, with a few a few bits. I mean, the first is I just want to revisit something you were talking about earlier. Obviously, you do uh, you have access to the manager. You, uh, as I say, we're recording on Friday. You've spoke to him t- uh, today, um, and I think the big concern from a lot of Albion fans is that he's going to get fed up with the situation. That he's unhappy. I, I mean, my question to you is twofold. One. Is that a reasonable concern? Because you don't seem you seem to think he's very he's very invested in 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 this project. And my second question would be to you: Has the way the club is keeping him happy changed since the what I, what I uh, described as the, in the title of the pod the Palmer drama? Because that's the one time that I've seen Carlos come out and basically have a go at the club in public that that's it, it was it was thinly veiled but it was there um since then he, he's made nothing but the noises that you intimated to earlier that he's happy with what we're doing I, I i personally from the outside looking in i have absolutely no contacts inside the club uh, anymore many years since i worked there i i i i feel like we almost learnt from our mistake in the in that in the way we handled that situation, and we've realised that Carlos is the most important thing at this football club, and that we're working very very hard to keep him happy. So my question is: Is that fair? And is he happy? I suppose it's funny you say that because right today uh, he uh, really unprompted. To be honest with you, I'll read this quote out to you right now, Chris. He said. I'm proud to be here. I want to be with West Bromwich in the challenge. He calls us West Bromwich. I've never heard him call us West Bromwich Albion or West Brom. (laughs) I want to be with West Bromwich in this challenge. I feel this club inside myself. This hasn't been the normal situation. It's unusual, but I came to West Bromwich in this moment, one of the biggest clubs in the UK, and I want to give my best to this club. That is as of, you know, a week out from deadline day, Uh, irrespective of the trials and tribulations of the club irrespective of the frustrations he might have felt at different points in this transfer window, he has always exuded um, a pride that he is at this club in in, in the first instance, something that he's very happy to remind us about on regular occasions. And I genuinely have never seen or 
felt anything that 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 that's changed you know to to make you think that it, that had really his own opinion or his own situation has has changed at all because he seems very very settled it didn't take him very long actually especially when he had the november international break when he got his feet under the table and they went to valencia to to do the um the world cup training camp he came back and around christmas time and albin obviously flying that really helped but you could just tell he just he looked so at home at the training ground and he had his he had his staff with him and they've been able to obviously in that time they've been able to add michael heffler and they've been able to add um marcus abad the goalkeeping coach so you know the in that respect the club have really supported him in any way that he, anything he's asked for on, on that front they've they've delivered so he of course knows that the, the the struggle that was made clear to him. He, he, he was um, he had a he had a conversation at the back end of last season with Ron Gourlay um, and Mark Miles, and it was made clear to him that this is where we are going to be. Uh, obviously, not directed at him, but the failure of the club to get promoted meant that this is this is now how we're going to have to cut our cloth. It's not going to be pretty, but you know we we want you to kind of still spearhead this um, and. As I say, I think he's all the way through. He seemed really just pleased to be at the football club, which is which is really lovely. And you know, you can see that the fan base absolutely love him. And he sees a club that's steeped in history. You know, he's invited the Astle family to the training ground. He's invited Bomber Brown to the to to the training ground. He wants to immerse himself in it. So on all of those different fronts, he, he he's ticked a hell of a lot of boxes, and um, he's. It, I would always, you know, like Slavin Bilic was a bit of a rock star. He'd come in, he'd give you a bear hug and he'd, you know, he'd talk to you with a, and he'd joke about things. And Carlos won't do that. He's very meticulous. He's extremely passionate. You know, he'll raise his voice when he's talking about football because, and some of his answers go on for five minutes because he's just on a roll then. He's talking just about... I always feel like he talks, yeah, he talks to the press like he's talking to a coach. And I've never, I've never, honestly, mate, when he comes, like when I'm driving home from the game and, and he comes on WM, like... I, I I'm so glad when we stop at lights because I have to focus on what he's saying because it's not it's not cliches it's complex proper football chat. Yeah, and that and that is we are blessed to have that really because you know to have that insight into into his brain the way he's able to communicate that in his second language is extraordinary really. So he's um, obviously a personality that's very well liked. He's he's respected by his players, um, the the staff seem all very very happy to be at the club and, and thrilled to be working under Carlos so on the subject of him you know the prospect of him walking away and I know that people that'll be the that'll be the worst case scenario and people will immediately jump to that because when something bad happens if you know Alex Palmer oh god Alex Palmer's gonna leave Daro Shea's already left and I saw a hundred thousand tweets from Albion fans saying oh he's gonna walk and never once did I share that opinion I've got to be honest even when after the Bolton game it was admittedly the the most down and in, in the in the dumps I've seen him. He was genuinely that that day gutted because I think he thought Palmer had gone. Um, was 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 that situation? Could it have been handled better by the club? Do you think? Well, I mean, what do you do when a Premier League club comes in with 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 an offer and, and knowing that you are in a position where you have to mm-hmm. listen to an offer for every single player in your squad if if one was to present itself and. You know, Palmer, we spoke to Palmer after the Leeds game and he said, well, I, I, at any rate, he, he turned them down. So, you know, he was happy to, st- he's happy to stay. He's waited, God knows he's waited long enough to be first choice at Albion. He's not about to give it up after six or seven months. Um, even, even for, even for the Premier League, he wants to be in the Premier League with Albion. That's his absolute overall ultimate aim. But, um, that was the one day where I thought he was particularly down and then maybe that just affected him on that particular day. Albion's pre-season results-wise, you can read into it what you will. It hadn't gone to plan in that respect. They'd been beaten and they looked pretty flimsy at the back at Bolton. And then that news arrives. And yeah, you can't blame Carlos for probably letting his emotions um, put, show his, you know, displaying those emotions that day with us in the press. But other than that, I mean, he signed a new contract in February, and he is as of that contract. The the person who's got the most years on 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 any deal at the club, you know, he's his his deal will outlast every single squad member. Um, 
if he was to see it through, which in football, that's probably not going to be the case, is it? I don't think in five years, I don't think there'll be another championship manager um, at any of the 24 championship clubs who will still be in their job. But that that that's the security he's got. He's not going to walk away from that on a whim because, you know, there's a bit of a challenge on his hands and things haven't maybe quite gone according to plan. That just doesn't strike me as something that's in his nature at all. He's got um, a young family and lives, you know, lives in, in the West Midlands, seems to have settled in very, very well. He's approaching a year here at the club and, you know, yeah, it, it's still, it's, it should still be an attractive proposition at Albion to work with as a football club. Um, it was a different stay. situation as well at Huddersfield, wasn't it? Because as you say, yeah. Mark Miles, uh, Ron Gourlay and the like sat him down and explained the situation to him before the end of last season. He knew he went into this with his eyes open. Yeah. The difference at Huddersfield was he had the rug pulled from under him, didn't, didn't he? Yeah, I think the goalposts change after they... I don't know whether there may be... I, I really, really, I'd be speaking without knowing actually what went on there, to be honest with you. I, I, for the way I looked at it was maybe they were hoping that they would get promoted through the playoffs and they were very unfortunate not to. And then they end up selling the two best players to the team that beat them in the playoff final. And uh, yeah, I can see why maybe he felt like Huddersfield in the playoff final was as close as he was ever going to get them to the Premier League. Whereas with Albini sees even with the financial issues, he can see a, a football club um, and a structure that, you know, he can work within and, and in time, hopefully get the club back to where he wants them to be in the Premier League. So he just seems very settled. He, he, he just somebody who seems really just properly clued up with what's going on. You know, the first interview we did with him after Dara Shea left and he was very, very happy to talk about how Dara was, you know, getting a good move to go and work under a really good manager, a former centre-half and wished him all the best. And there was no ill will you know, towards the club for having to sell the, the captain or to the captain himself for leaving. It was just an acceptance of this is the, the situation. This is what's had to happen. And um, we'll come again. Last question, Joe, because I know you, uh, you, you've been extremely generous with your time. And I've, I, I, we've touched on this, but I've saved the question that obviously the fans are going to want to hear asked um, uh, for last. The quote from Carlos last week, I think it was what uh, referred to a, quote, crazy end to the window, Mm. potentially. Fans are going to want to wonder about incomings. How imminent, if at all, do you think any incomings are? Or do you think it is going to be a crazy end to the window? And by crazy end, I mean last 48 hours, maybe even last 24 hours for Albion. I have no doubts at all that we will still be doing business on deadline day. Yeah. That's just the way Albion do it. I just got hope to God that they do it on deadline day and not to try and I try they to fix do it the fax machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's that's the first hope. I it, it's obviously a situation that's so fluid with Albion in that they're gonna have to wait for ducks to be lined up in a row at, at clubs elsewhere. And uh I don't envisage yeah, I, I don't envisage Albion being done and dusted by the 28th or 29th of August. You can just see it going all the way because that, uh, it, it's it's what will happen every year. And it's not just Albion. It, it seems to happen every year. that It's almost like a game of poker, isn't it? You wait until the very, very, very last minute to, to show your hand or, or to, you know, to try and pull a deal off. What what was a bit of a breakthrough, I think, was that it was made clear to me when Taylor Gardner-Hickman left was that that departure means now Albion don't need to wait for another departure to get a player in. So the next transfer that Albion do is there's every chance it's an incoming player um, because they've been able to kind of make that room, that wriggle room. So that's, that's, that is one, you know, small positive, I think, but um, yeah, you're looking at just keep an eye on the Premier League low knees and who's, who might be available late on um, in, in the window and, who's come back from pre-season tour and been deemed, you know, ready for another loan spell. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, you just hope to God that it's not deja vu or anything like that from 12 months ago. Yeah, or, or even January. I know it wasn't our fault, but when Hutchinson didn't make it through the door either. So yeah, we, we've had our, we've had our trials and tribulations on on deadline day. I, I even go back to my time at the at the club when we were all sat there waiting uh, waiting for Romelu Lukaku and he never came. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it was um, we've we've had our difficult deadline days. Let's hope we're not in for another next week. Uh, Joe. 
thank you so much for your time today. You've been uh, really, really generous and it's been so insightful. So um, cheers so much for joining us. No, my pleasure as always, Chris. And look, just uh, just to remind you, look, uh, you can read Joe's stuff on Birmingham Live. He's on, he's on, I, I'm going to always say Twitter. Obviously, it's called X now, but he's on X or Twitter, depending on which, what you want to call it, at ChapmanJ92. Um, as we record on Friday, two a couple of brilliant pieces dropped literally hours ago, uh, talking about the very topic we've just been discussing, Albion's end to the window, and something that we haven't touched on, and I've intentionally omitted it because you ain't getting everything on this podcast. Go and read some of Joe's stuff. He's talking about the incomings at the uh, at the academy where we've been making some exciting moves with young players. So please go and read uh, go and read his, his stuff. It's as ever fantastic journalism and a really really good read. Um, we will be back after the Middlesbrough game and we'll get to find out where where in the world Pete George uh, is landed, whether he can find a Wi-Fi connection that's worthy of the name. And hopefully, hopefully we will have a victory to discuss. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.